0: Hello and welcome back to the Plastics Podcast, where some Americans try to make sense of what Keppa does for Chelsea. This week, Brighton get bashed by Aston Villa, Manchester City help make VAR look like a joke, Wolves waste good possession with West Ham, and Bielsa bids farewell to Leeds. Also, some headlines from the conflict in Ukraine make their way through Chelsea and players around the world. The Plastics are back to a full strength squad. Hey, everyone. Hey. Blair, Maddie, welcome back. I mean, you were here, but... (laughs) Welcome back, metaphorically. Thank I, you. Yeah. Uh, I'm Jacob, and uh, how was everyone's week? How is everyone doing? You can give me like a cool, yeah, okay, maybe Matty gives a full thumbs up.
1: <laughs> I'm doing all right, Jacob.
0: How yeah. are you doing? I am okay. I am okay. It's been um, probably a weird week for everyone. Yes.
1: I'd say that's accurate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> This is a sports podcast, but sometimes things just go beyond sports, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Ukraine and Russia later in the episode, Um, but for right now, we had a full roster of Premier League news making it to us throughout this weekend. Uh, Some games, lots and lots of headlines, it's a busy, busy schedule this week, so let's just Jump into it, so we don't uh, run way over the normal amount of time. Us? <laughs> that? No. No. It's crazy. We never. We keep these forty-five minutes. Remember when we, I think I think we targeted at forty-five minutes when we started this? <laughs> yeah, that was a pipe dream. <laughs> Game numero uno. Uh, we skipped the seven thirty fixture because we were tired, and it, we uh, we start off hot with Brighton. Nil, Aston Villa 2. Uh, we compiled a list of uh, teams we hadn't talked about in five episodes. And Brighton were one of them. So this will be good to focus on our, our Brighton boys. And they lost by two goals pretty handily to Aston Villa in some aspects. Blair, what would you think of the game?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to focus on Brighton in this one, right? You know, And I thought they were like largely okay for big parts of the game. And like we've always talked about Brighton as being a pretty interesting team to watch. They for, for a club of their size, they play, they punch above their, their, their weight for sure. Yes. And, um, you know, they're where they're sitting in the table right now, kind of mid table, um, is, you know, higher than where you would expect them to be. I think they play pretty, pretty soccer. I think it's largely down to Grand Potter and what he does with that system. And yeah, I think, They just kind of struggle with the old goal scoring.
0: Yeah, you know, they did, especially this game, because they didn't score any goals. Yeah. Notably. (laughs) So (laughs) kind of tough to win a game when you don't do that. Very
1: noticeable blemish. Yeah. Put right up there on the big old scoreboard for the folks to see at home.
0: (laughs) Brighton with a systematic performance that started off hot in the first half and provided many eye-pleasing plays that amounted to almost goals. This tapered off throughout the second half, conceding two from a great shot from uh, the one and only Matty Cash, in a moment where Lewis Dunk switched off, letting Ali Watkins score a relatively easy goal. Potter's methods were not only clear, but made sense this game because at many moments they worked. The players themselves just did not convert when they needed to and were not able to amount a comeback when Cash's shot went in for the first goal. Blair, um... They had 12 shots. Yeah. One on target. Just the one. This has to change if they want to win against opponents of similar stature, if they want to keep punching above their weight and making their way above the table to higher spots. Uh, Is there anything that you would want to change about Brighton's method of attack here? If you could just walk up to Graham Potter with like a notebook and say, hey, Graham, please read this, (laughs) what would you write in it?
1: I... I I really wonder how Graham Potter uh, coaches the final third on the training ground each week because they look great in their defensive third. They're a pretty solid defensive team uh, in the top half of the table for goals conceded this season, but they're not great at scoring goals. And I just kind of, when you watch them, you see these really nice, nicely worked plays, uh, they can use the middle of the field they work it from inside out to their wing backs their wing backs get up the field they're you know pretty great players in their own right but once they get to that final third they continue to kind of play the same way as if they're in the middle of the field or the, their own defensive third which is kind of strange they like to do their you know pretty triangles into the box and these kind of like tight you know one two passes which can make for some really pretty goals but it's not easy to do that and I think they just need to find a little bit less structure and a little more freedom in the final third. Yeah. And it, I don't know. I, I think what, what's always struck me about Brighton is they have very diminutive forwards. Leandro Tart- Trossard and Neil Mopay don't make up very much man. And I think maybe they need a little more uh, size and presence in the center of the pitch than what they've got right now. What do you think?
0: Uh, that's an interesting point. Um, no, that's not When I think of what Brighton needs... Right, I don't immediately consider size, but that is something you'd want to have available to you. I know it's tough because I think what Brighton lacked this game wasn't necessarily threatening uh, goal presence because they were able to get there. They just didn't know when to pull the trigger. Yeah. and I, I don't know if it's something you can necessarily teach. It's just something you kind of have to instill in players the you can't be like okay, so when you're at this point in the field and there's only three or less players around you and you are 20 yards, but not more than 25, then yeah. you can shoot.
1: You got to pull out the uh, the sheet, your 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 crib sheet. that yeah, says yeah, yeah. If then
0: exactly, it's a it's a giant logic board that each yeah. player carries with them on the field, mm-hmm. and then they check all the boxes, and then they get a green light or a red light to shoot.
1: Green light, red light, green light, red light. Yeah, um, that's 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 kind of where I'm getting at. I think is like they sort of have like these like attacking midfielder forwards and like what they like to do is, uh, you know, like link up with each other. I think that they just kind of get a little too cute in the box and they don't just, someone's got to pull the trigger eventually, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, they do. Uh, it was a similar problem, um, with wolves today as well, but we'll, we'll get to that. They had last match We really zoned in on them was, um, uh, Mark Cucurella. Yes, the Jesus. left center back or left wing back even, depending on what point of the game this was. Uh, tireless, tireless, tireless winger. And he uh, really shined that last game. But this game he was a bit um, bit more in the background, uh, mostly because defensively Brighton conceded the shots that... They, they conceded shots they shouldn't have. Most notably, Lewis Dunk just not being there to get the ball that Ollie Watkins picked up and scored. Uh, I don't know what you're supposed to do. It was just that moment where he kind of whiffs it. The ball keeps going. Ollie Watkins sees his chance to poach, and he does so, as he should. Um, Mings with a pretty great pass, though. Uh, You got to give credit where credit's due. I'm just not sure that uh, this is the kind of... uh, Back three, Brighton want to operate with uh, going forward. Um, I have another question written here, Blair, um, to kind of lead that in. On average, uh, Brighton have impressed this season, but if they want to make their way up the table, they have to make the kind of ceiling, that they have to make the kind of signings Aston Villa have. Uh, Villa have really gone for it. They've grabbed a bunch of really flashy players, um, really exciting signings that might see them get to a top six position. If Brighton want to improve in whatever areas, Blair, you think they need to improve in, who should they sign? Or where should they look to sign?
1: Who should they sign?
0: Yeah, obviously not the easiest question because there's more than a couple players out there. (laughs) But, I mean, I guess, is there any areas of the pitch they should improve in? Because I'm not entirely convinced by... uh, all of their center backs and i think as you said their their uh, attacking players maybe could use a bit of size if they're trying to play balls into the box and not just dink it around with the hopes that they'll get a clear and obvious shot
1: <clears throat> yeah i don't know that's a hard question they I, I i'm like largely fine with their defending i think like i think for me i'm upgrading i'm upgrading my attacking players I think, like, Mope and Trissart are fine, but I don't think they offer enough uh, variation in what they both can provide their attack. And, yeah, I think they just need something else there. What kind of strikes me about Brighton is that it feels like they have, the they sort of rely on similar areas of the pitch and similar players to score goals as a team like Chelsea do with Tuchel I mean they have very similar systems they rely on their wing backs pretty heavily and Tuchel kind of makes his system work with some world-class attacking players um, or you know up there in the uh, in the pantheon of good attacking players and in in, on the continent these days and uh, what Brighton don't have is that so I'm not. I'm not sure. I can't really pull name out of the of the, the hat right now on who they should sign, but um, I don't know someone with I think maybe some more presence in the box, someone who's gonna you know uh, be able to post up, receive the ball, and take a shot. You know, someone who's just got that kind of quick turn um, and that instinct for goals. I think is really what they need. Um, who that is, I'm not sure. Do you have any names in mind?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, actually, well, I, I have positions in mind, and I don't think they necessarily need so. I think it's a pretty popular uh, train of thought now. But when you're um, looking to improve your side, you don't just improve your your any position um, or even your strongest. You improve your weakest position. You improve the spot where you just don't have um, a lot of great depth or a lot of great skill. Brighton have good attacking midfielders. Vespa most notably Mark out Al- um, McAllister, uh, also notably, what you don't have is a great box to box midfielder. Uh, and when I say this, I'm talking about Jacob motor. He had a lot of touches, but he just really didn't help, uh, cycle the ball in a positive way. He didn't, uh, he was doing a lot of back passing back to uh, Lewis Dunker, back to Veltman. Um, And so it was just kind of this. You didn't see it a lot in the first half because they were playing so confidently. But when Cash scored, they just kind of sat back and said, well, this is it. So they just kind of dinked it around and then got it forward occasionally. But I mean, it was Aston Villa that, you know, we're okay with not taking shots. If that's going to be your MO, is to not get it into the box a lot and just take a couple of good chances. That's well and good because at least you're sticking to a philosophy. But if uh, Gr- a Potter is trying to uh, work it up the wings like he is and then play it middle at some point, you have to have a guy that can help do that. And motor is not doing it for yeah. me at least this game, I should say. So uh, I say they sign another box to box midfielder, um, whoever that may be that kind of coming summer. Um, good luck to them. Newcastle away, Liverpool home, Tottenham home, Man City away is Brighton's upcoming schedule. How many points? Say that one more time. Newcastle away. Newcastle away. Liverpool home. Okay. Tottenham home. Mm -hmm. Man City away. Maddie says three.
1: I'll say four.
0: Blair says four. I say one. Okay. I say they tie Newcastle and they lose to Liverpool, Tottenham, and Man City.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, Liverpool Tottenham and City is not a fun run of fixtures by any means. Um, Brighton have this sort of thing in their DNA where they seem to show up against top teams. And I I'll I'll give them some credit in one of these matches. Maybe they'll be able to to nick something uh, maybe uh, maybe off Tottenham who sort of struggle with The system that they, particularly the system that they run, they still have difficulties breaking down the box, basically getting into the box. They're good on the counter, and that's what they want to do.
0: So, Yeah, you can't always walk it in. Yep. Um, So maybe Brighton don't make top ten this year. Maybe they do. Who is to say? Yeah, so Brighton are fun to watch, but they just need to do better in the last bit of the field. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grand Potter, everyone.
2: In the build-up, because if that happens, it negates the penalty shout. So it wasn't. I've been told that clear. It's not, not, not offside against Richarlson in the build-up. So then it's just isolate the penalty. The referee said he was on the other side of it. Fine, I get that. So go to VAR, who have a minute and a half or two minutes, to look at it and to think that Chris Kavanagh has not given that penalty. Um, that strikes him on the arm midway. Strikes him when his arm's not in a natural position. Um, I've got a three-year-old daughter at home who could tell you that's a penalty. I can't understand it. If the, if the communication is VAR, so I, the referee says, I didn't see it, give me a clear understanding. The referee sees it. Even if he says, I'm not sure if it may be, but it is, but even if he says, I'm not sure it may be, then, then they go, okay, go and have a look. Then we're both in this together. You get the first shout as a referee. I, I don't understand it. It's incompetence at best. Um, if it's not that, then this, then, it, then someone needs to explain to me what it is.
0: Harsh words from Frank Lampard, Everton's manager, after a zero to one defeat to Manchester City at home. I am not in any place to comment on this in a unbiased opinion, so I will let Blair take <laughs> over the discussion on this.
1: Uh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm an Arsenal fan, so I've never had any problems with the refereeing in Premier <laughs> League, and um, I think I can give a clear-eyed view on this one. That's a fucking handball, man! <laughs> like what? The, what the hell? I don't know. It's like uh, it's like yeah. what are we doing here? I I don't understand the call. When we were originally watching the the commentary, Arlo White said that they thought it was because there was offsides in the build-up to the the play. And so the handball was moot because it wouldn't have happened if they had just called the player offsides. I find that explanation acceptable, I guess. But after Frank Lampard's comments and the further clarification from Arlo White in a series of tweets, it became obvious that that wasn't the case and that they just decided that the handball on Rodri wasn't, in fact, a handball uh, and no foul or no penalty should be awarded. And I think that's bullshit it was a it was just an it was an obvious call like if the if the rule is that it's a handball if the ball strikes below the sleeve the ball hit below the sleeve his arm is extended from his body it impedes the path of the ball it's a handball in the box and a penalty should have been awarded like that it's plain as day and you look at the ramifications of something like this it awards city theoretically three points if uh um everton don't convert or if Everton do convert from the the spot, then they obviously drop points. Um, so there's ramifications at the top of the table for Liverpool fans um, who are not too far out now. Suddenly in mm-hmm. the, the title race, mm-hmm. and there's also ramifications for Everton. You know, uh, I guess most predominantly in this game, who are struggling near the bottom of the table and would be happy ecstatic to, to take a point points. or yeah. to take a point even from city when a game they weren't expecting to at all a game in which they really played with their you know hearts on their sleeves as they say i mean they really defended their asses off they played struggle ball for 90 minutes and to you know have this decision go against them in this way man i don't know that's uh and, and lampard even suggested he's like this this if this is an incompetence then you tell me what it is which i think is him suggesting that it's corruption but um you know Make of that what you will I think it's just a blatantly bad call bad refereeing And it's a problem that just has been so persistent this season and we're constantly talking about it. It's really annoying
0: Yes (laughs) Um, To reference what Blair is talking about because we never actually mentioned the incident itself Uh, That's on me for not framing it. Sorry. Uh, Rodri receives a pass inside his own box and it hits the upper to lower bicep, depending on you know what you consider that, and then continues on dribbling. Nothing is called. Eventually the play stops. The ref listens to his earpiece. Uh um the ref that game was Stuart Atwell? Tyranny. No.
1: Yeah. I can look one sec. It was um, the the ref was Paul Tierney Paul? and the VAR ref was Chris Kavanaugh.
0: Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, so Paul Tierney uh, listens to Chris Kavanaugh, who reviews the play, and then they call one um, uh, either I because part of the issue is the the unclear communication to the audience um, that Richarlison was offsides when the pass initially happens, or that it wasn't a handball. And everyone is taking issue. And by everyone, I mean everyone but Manchester City is taking issue (laughs) with uh, the fact that, one, this wasn't a handball, according to the refs. And two, the communication that they were initially checking for offsides when they actually weren't. And then, I guess, three, the fact that it doesn't at least go to review for the ref to take a look at it again, and he's just listening to Chris Cavanaugh uh, in his earpiece that is, I think, by anyone's definition, a game-changing decision. And it needs to be looked at by the head ref.
1: Yeah. The the sideline the sideline monitor should have been used by Tyranny in this case. When these things go on for so long, there should be just like a time limit. Like if it takes you three minutes to do the var check in the studio or wherever the hell they're doing them. The, the re- main referee, in this case Tierney, should have just been going to the sidelines anyway and just looking at him for himself. Yeah. Because he stopped play. I mean, it really, like, fucks with the, the flow of things in the game. And, I mean, like, the beauty of soccer is that you don't have these kinds of stoppages. So it's just, like, really annoying when these things become so protracted. But, yes, he definitely should have looked at it. And I think if he did, he probably would have been like, yeah, that's a, like, stonewall penalty. Right. Like, and the thing is, like, there's not anybody around Rodri.
0: No, he is by himself. Yes. And so, it, like, he doesn't need to do that. No. Necessarily. And so, it was a brain-dead play from him. Yes. And here's my thing. <laughs> We're instituting VAR. Yeah. Fine. You, I think, personally, as fans of the game, you have to accept that in doing this, you are sacrificing the fluidity of the game for more structured calls.
1: Objectivity, yeah.
0: Yes, and... That's fine. Supposed I am okay with pausing the game to make a big decision that not only affects the game but the league itself. Mm-hmm. If that means we just take 3 to 5 minutes to just take a look at what this is. Yes. That's fine. Yes. But we've done neither here. We've we've b- both broken up play and made the incorrect call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, we have to choose. You know, I mean like we you either Get rid of VAR. That's fine because we don't have to pause the game anymore and we can be like, damn, I wish the ref was looking when that happened. Yeah. Or we just pause the game, take five minutes to watch. Yeah. We're all there with you, man. We're all trying to figure it out too. <laughs> it's, not like the, it's not like the fans are going to yell at the ref. If the fans yell at the ref for taking that long to look at that decision with the league the way it is right now, that's three points. Yeah. That Everton could have, or maybe one point that Everton could have, meaning three points or two points that Manchester City drop.
1: Yeah, because at the point in the game is late in the game and they're already down a goal, right? So it would have yeah. been 1 1 if they converted.
0: I speak to this as a Liverpool fan, but I speak to this as someone who doesn't want to see a giant asterisk on this season because of this.
1: There's no ulterior motives here. We are both on the sides
0: of justice, <laughs> purely on the sides of justice. Don't, don't look into it, okay? We're <laughs> fine. We're fine. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, that's really, honestly, I wanted I wanted to talk about uh, Donnie Vandebeek and his play this game, but this is all that really ended up mattering for this game, mm-hmm. was this stupid moment where stupid Rodri makes a stupid <laughs> mistake and stupid uh, Paul Tierney doesn't make the right call.
1: Yeah. It's I, just, it's yeah. too frequent. It happens too frequently. Yeah. That's just the bottom line, and... It just needs to be addressed.
0: I don't ever, ever hear this kind of stuff from La Liga, from Bundesliga. The implementation is just so much better. Yeah, I just don't. <laughs> like, what get is so hard about it if every other league is doing it correctly? Yeah. And like, if you
1: look at, I mean, we follow a lot of American sports leagues. If you look at the NBA, when they go to review, the referee comes to the side, the score, the sideline the announcer's board table thing. There's a microphone set up for the referee. He presses a button. Yep. He looks into a camera, and he says, this is what our call was Yeah. after, I, the, after like. the review. Yeah, or it's like in, in the clear. NFL, yeah.
0: they like, they'll like they take a second to do the call, yeah. and then they'll like give a short look. Like, this is why we're doing this call, and this is yeah. why it's the way it is. And they're like, oh, okay, that's fine.
1: Very long explanations yeah. yes. from, from-
0: That's fine. And maybe that's an American thing because, you know- everyone in america's like i don't respect authority yeah. so i need to get this explained to me but i think that if you did that the fans would be a lot happier at least or mm-hmm. i think a lot of ideas were floating around of refs doing post-game conferences yeah like hey you know this happened in the game why'd you make this call what are the rules yeah. you know explain to us the non-experts what the rules are cite and, the rule yeah and that's fine you like i think that would be great um as long as I mean, obviously there's going to be problems no matter what sort of solutions implemented here, but anything other than the status quo right (laughs) now is better. Yes. So let's please do it. This is two Americans from thousands of miles away watching your sport, the global phenomenon that it is, telling you there's a (laughs) better way to do this.
1: <laughs> I got a lot of ideas about following. We can we can ch- we can talk. I got I've got plenty of ideas. We're gonna change the structure of the game for the better, folks. I
0: got one sport that you could look to right now. All right? <laughs> MMA. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I wanted to note also that Donny Van de Beek, a midfielder for Everton on loan for Manchester United, did a fantastic job of marking out Kevin De Bruyne this game. Uh, he was pretty much stuck to him like glue when he was on his side of the field. Donny Van de Beek would drop back into the back five almost for Everton and um, sit there so that uh, De Bruyne couldn't make his uh, you know half-space runs. And then whenever De Bruyne had the ball, he'd immediately close him down. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Uh, great defensive play. He he was very disciplined. Uh, he did not follow Kevin De Bruyne around. He uh, stuck on his side of the field even when De Bruyne switched with um, Sterling, I believe. And so it, it, Everton did this great, great defensive discipline where they 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 didn't they didn't get dragged out dragged out by Manchester City. So uh, they couldn't Manchester City couldn't work their system against him, and it all just came. Cr- Rumbling apart. At the end, uh, I think it was. Hang on, I had it uh, written down here. We're gonna, I'm gonna read this uh, event. Oh, uh, the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. Okay. The in the eighty second minute, a pass from Mares is dinked by Mason Holgate. Mares make tries to make a pass in the box. Holgate gets a foot on it and it bounces towards uh, Keen, yep. who looks at it. And that's all he does. And then uh, Phil Foden sees this, runs past him, and just shoots it, and there's nothing Pickford can do. One to nothing. Yeah. Minute 86, Rodri uh, has the handball. So this could have been two points dropped. This could have been even the the whole game dropped if Everton rallied around that. But, you know, I guess it's neither here nor there now.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a massive error, you know, and it, and it has just rippling effects for the rest of the season and, and you know for the table. So it's yeah, I mean you got to get these things right, absolutely. And it's a shame for Everton because I thought that they, for the most part, held up held themselves well in the box. Keane and Holgate like were just like holding on. Pickford made some nice saves yep. and um yeah I mean they they you know and I think Everton too to their credit were getting forward and not to like sound demeaning but I, I wouldn't expect much from my team against Manchester City to be no. honest and they I think they had they, they had some moments where I th- I would call them like knocking on the door like they were getting into the box and yeah you know they seem to have City not on the ropes but you know Kind of on the back heel for a bit.
0: No, but like I, I don't think that's demeaning to say that when Everton come up against Manchester City, this is what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And they did it very well.
1: They did. They so did.
0: I don't think that's demeaning at all to say Everton did a great job this game. They did. And which is, the, thus far this season, not part of the course.
1: Yeah, exactly. They executed the game plan about as well as they, they could have. And they should yeah. feel aggrieved and, that they didn't take a point from
0: them. you know it's not their fault the system decided to not work the man is keeping them down yeah <laughs> I mean they had six shots which is great they, like so when you see these when you see these teams that Manchester City face sometimes you'll see like 25 shots to you know Norwich's two yeah everything got off six to Manchester City's 13 defensively they did fantastic yeah um, Pickford I had a couple of great saves uh, and he I made
1: seven saves in the game yeah <laughs> I,
0: I was really impressed with him she, Seamus Coleman 14th season of the Premier League that's crazy
1: yeah it's all been with Everton right yeah yeah
0: I I just I didn't realize he'd been there that I feel
1: long. like yeah it feels like he's just like an old head yeah. he's been there forever
0: <laughs> uh, last question because so I I, I got very passionate um, during the game and I, I think I shouted uh, everyone's <laughs> eardrums off when they scored so what my Sorry. apologies it's such a lame joke everybody does that joke when <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Van de Beek essentially marked out to Bruyne this game, Blair, and it was eventually subbed out for Deli Alley. How mm-hmm. does Frank Lampard incorporate both players uh, into the squad during the remainder of this season? Mm. And maybe uh, if you want to take another spin on it, does he incorporate both players into the squad this season?
1: I think he could. I think he could. Maybe use Alli more on the wings and, and kind of put Van de Beek in the hole behind the, the forwards. I don't think that would be so bad. Um, okay, It's sort of hard to say. What is, has what is Van de Beek been over the last few months? He's been, you know, collecting checks and making his rent payments on time, probably. But um, as a player... Exploring Manchester. Exactly, yeah. He's got all the tour guides. <laughs> <laughs> Ten secrets to exploring Manchester. Yeah. yeah. So... And I, yeah, like you said, I mean, I think he he had a great game, and, and maybe um, you know you'd want Delhi a little bit away from the defensive duties at least as much as you can, um, because I think you really sub him on when you're trying to get a goal, you know. And Van Der Beek came off in the 71st minute, right. so yeah, I think he's he's more of that kind of player in this situation. But yeah, I think I think you could probably make it work for both of them, especially with the way Van Der Beek showed that he could um, provide some defensive cover pretty pretty well in this game.
0: Yeah, I. So personally, I think Deli Alli is still a fantastic player. Uh, I know a lot of rhetoric is floating around that he's a bit past this magical period of his life where he was this young, like very intense player that just kind of took Tottenham by storm, um, and he did, and then he did wane off, and that's fine. But I think this, you know, this is this is normal. This is like when you get a player that starts performing at a high level and then continues his entire career. That's so rare. I think people get lost in that, so I think de- there's a way up for Deli Alley if he's treated as the guy to base your offense around. Um, so I think we can fit Van de Beek in, and we can just take out Richarlison.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, you could do that. Um,
0: and, and and we put Deli Alley in there, and maybe uh, Mike Goodman, if you want to hop in on here and help me out, you um, <laughs> can tell me what's best for your team. So. Yeah, I'm actually very excited to watch uh, Everton uh, maybe try to salvage something from the next three months.
1: Yeah, I should say to too, uh, add an addendum to what I said, Van Beek came off, I believe, with an injury in the 71st minute. It wasn't to nick a goal because they were still at a neutral game. So it was nil-nil at that point, so it wasn't to try to get uh, back into the game um, with Delhi. So it was a bit of an unfortunate situation, I guess, with VanBee having to come off. But yep. um, I think as far as, as Delhi is concerned, a change of scenery seems like it can be good for a lot of players. Some Sometimes you just get in a rut and you need to move on somewhere else, yeah. greener pastures. Uh, for example, Aubameyang scored a goal today.
0: Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. He <laughs> he's, he's scored a goal in the game right now. Yes. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, I think I think he certainly can, you know, kick on there and hopefully find a bit of a groove.
0: Him and uh Anthony Martial hold the same vibe to me. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh,
1: maybe Marcus Rashford is the next one.
0: Don't say that.
1: I don't know, man. I feel like he might be <laughs> to, might be might be worth it I for think
0: him. Marcus Rashford it, it like holds the standard as the kind of guy you want for Manchester United. Yes. But we're not talking about Manchester United. Yeah, we try not to do that anymore. Sorry. Yeah, we're done with that. That was my fault, yeah. my bad. Yeah, Fucking tied to up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, we're moving on. We're moving on. We're moving on. West Ham one, Wolves, zero. Another team we haven't talked about in some time. The Wolverhampton Wanderers.
1: Yeah. Jacob, let's talk about where Wolves have been so far this season. Okay. Shall we? Yes. Coming into the game, Wolves ranked third best. Uh, I'm sorry, third to last <laughs> uh, in goals four at 24. The third best in goals against with at 20. Only City and Chelsea have conceded less goals than them in the season. In their previous five matches, they've won two. They've lost three. Um, they lost to Arsenal twice. They beat Tottenham. They beat Leicester. And they lost to West Ham today. So that's kind of giving us a little idea where they're at. They're kind of vying for a European spot. I think they maybe even had eyes on a top four spot. I'm not sure if today's... Uh, loss is a, is too significant of a setback for that but they've been contending uh with the european aspirants
0: for a top four or top six spot. top six
1: okay or seven i guess now
0: uh, yeah um yeah i think this was a game they wanted to win to, to well to prove that they could get a top six or four spot this is the kind of game
1: it's kind of a six-pointer in a sense if it you, is,
0: you, if, yeah, if you. you're preventing West Ham from getting three while also getting three. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Big, big six-point game. Big six-point game. Yeah. Wolves, uh, <laughs> they, you could say they did not run with the pack to get this, uh, get this win. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, that, was, that wasn't even clever. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, Blair, you were watching this game closer than I was because um, I got up a little late uh, today. Wolves were suffering the same problem that Brighton were. Yeah. They try to be cute with it.
1: Uh huh. They're cute.
0: <laughs> Ruben Neves is handsome. <laughs> He's
1: got those locks, man. Yeah. He also kind of looks like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Kukurea and Ruben Neves. I mean, uh,
0: I will add things that I noticed. I wrote down some questions that we can probably ignore if you want. Um, no, I mean
1: let's let let's see him. Let's let's hear him. What, what were your impressions of this match, Jacob? I struggled
0: uh, the score. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's a big one.
0: Yeah, Wolves. Uh, Wolves are trying to be the cool guys. Uh, They're they're trying to be the fancy cool guys that just play it in, and then they just kind of roll it into the back of the net, and then they kind of walk away and do like the shoulder shrug, like, oh, man, I did that. Whatever, dude. (laughs) And then they go back to the half line and they start play again. That's not what Wolves are. Wolves are a bastard team. They, uh, they're they supposed to make you furious when you play them. They're supposed to be a team that you go out to grind out a result.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. When Wolves do, they, they do very good plays uh, in the first and second, third, and then they just lose who they are in the final third. And so when we get these uh, guys like Ruben Neves or um, who was the other guy that we uh, shot a lot? Uh, it was... Trincao? Silva. Fabio Silva. So Fabio Silva. When you try and get them to shoot from distance, I honestly think that's preferable than trying to just dink it around in the box and do nothing with it.
1: Yes. I agree. They, they, yeah, I mean, they. I guess they, they did struggle. I mean, and I think that, I feel like, for whatever reason whenever i watch this wolves team they do seem to settle for those longer shots and i think i've seen Neto and Mutinho put in you know a few of those uh thunder bastard goals from distance so maybe they have it in their locker neves tried one today but yeah it's kind of not a great sign when maybe your best attacking option is a long shot from outside of the box and it's
0: not a good sign no,
1: no. <laughs> and i feel like part of the Part of the issue for Wolves is, and I remember when we talked about them last time, is that they had to get Jimenez going and scoring goals. Like, that was their... He's their guy. And with uh, gone, that's especially the case. And uh, I don't know. I mean, he really hasn't uh, impressed that much in front of goal this season. And so they're relying on Fabio Silva, who started today, who's a 19-year-old forward to, you know, lead their attack. And I think he largely struggled with trying to, you know, knit that together. Um, and... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just a, a, it was kind of a sputtering performance for them, and I kind of feel for him, is getting lost between you know Kurt Zuma and Craig Dawson, who are bowling him around in the box.
0: the The point is, was that Bulls have to do better. I know that a notable underperformer in this game was Key Jana Hoover, twenty year old Mm -hmm. uh, academy prospect, right back, right wing back, had a full shift but was dispossessed three times this game. And as a wingback that Wolves try to play, like Wolves and Brighton have so much overlap in qualities. I feel like we have two similar segments right now. And like when you get dispossessed on the wings, it's bad. I want to talk about Jose Sa, uh, fantastic keeper. I looked it up. He has the second most amount of prevented XG in in the league. He has conceded 20 goals this season where he should have conceded 28.
1: That adds up, Jacob, because they are overperforming their XGA by a pretty healthy margin.
0: Who? Well, I have it on here as well. I want to make a guess. He's only behind Davidea. Mm, yes. Who's putting on a showcase performance for some team? And so, uh, <laughs> Team uh, X. Yeah, Team Team X. And uh, that's that's good. That's positives for Wolves. I think uh, overall Bruno Lage has done wonderful with his team, and perhaps this was just a particular strategy when going against, um, in this case, a team above the table. So,
1: Yeah, and and the commentary seemed to think that Lodge's strategy for this game was to see out the first 60 minutes, keep it close, and then bring your attacking options on the field and sub Neto or Moutinho or or Jimenez on. and That's what he did, but they were already down a goal by the time they were on the field. So by the time you made the first sub, um, I think... Jimenez was standing on the sidelines as they conceded the goal. It's it, The de- defensive uh, performance has been really impressive from them. They are not a fun team to play against by any means. Connor they, Cody. They got to get the, the balance right, though, with the yeah. attack.
0: Yeah. Connor Cody, fantastic player.
1: He is underrated, I would yeah. say, even.
0: Yeah, I think the whole mindset of trying to, quote, grind out something for X amount of time until we can bring so-and-so on to save our asses is such a invitational mindset yes. for disaster. Yes. I don't really understand the the benefits there, but like I said before, I don't coach a Premier League team, so I'm not going to say anything. Let's talk about Chelsea, Liverpool, Blair. This was a cup final where uh, Liverpool, despite their best efforts, won the game. And that might be a little harsh. This was the first time... Uh, Mane or Salah or Diaz or any of the starting strikers started this cup run.
1: Yeah, yeah that was, they noted that in the in the commentary. That was,
0: they, they, they kind of just strolled in then when they got to the final, they're like, alright we'll fill the team. <laughs> we'll, we'll try, yeah. we'll try
1: we weren't hoping to be this far. This. I
0: honestly didn't expect to be here, but we're here so let's do it. <laughs> And so they did. And it was a very entertaining game to watch. Chelsea had many chances. Um, notably, Mason Mount couldn't convert anything. Uh, Cuevin, Kelleher, uh, the uh, backup keeper for Liverpool, did a fantastic job. Eduard Mendy for Chelsea did a phenomenal job yes. of keeping the ball out of their nets. It was a showcase and a goalkeeping performance from both teams, uh, I should say, Um, from the starting keepers. uh, And it was something that was incredibly entertaining to watch because it was end-to-end stuff. The midfield was working overtime. They must have been so gassed by the end of it. Uh, Thiago Alcantara with an unfortunate uh, warm-up injury, so Naby Keita had to come on. And then that resulted in bringing in Harvey Elliott from outside the squad to be a sub who ended up taking a penalty. It was a very, very wild game that ended with all 11 players from both teams (laughs) taking a penalty in a shootout because it ended 0-0 somehow. (laughs) I don't know where you guys get XG from Carabao Cup games, but I want to see it. I only 63 see, calories,
1: folks. Wanna, <laughs> 63 XG, 63 <laughs> calories, man. It's
0: crazy. Um, I think the only thing that anyone's ever going to remember from this game, though, sadly, is Keppa Arethabalaga skying the ball in mm. the last kick of the game.
1: Really, his first touch with his foot. The first touch on the ball with his foot in the game, right? I don't think he touched it you in... He rec- kick. Did he? Yeah, he started uh, he, the game with a kick. Yeah, he started okay. the game with
0: a goal kick. Okay. Uh, Edward Mendy uh, brought on to save Chelsea from a bit of a goalkeeping crisis originally is subbed off for Kepa who is now been branded as a penalty shootout specialist goalie. The guy you bring in to help see out the game by saving a penalty. He comes on in the dying seconds of extra time. The penalty shootout begins and every single player from both teams proceeds to convert their penalty. Liverpool were 11 for 11. Even Cuevan Kelleher converted his at the very end. He did good too. He did great. And then Kappa goes to take the last shot. He puts it straight down the middle. (laughs) Just happened to be over the stadium roof. He kicked
1: it into the English Channel. Yes.
0: And (laughs) That's how Liverpool won the Carabao Cup. It wasn't due to um, any goalkeeper saves. It was due to Keppa fucking it up. And uh, it kind of sucks because it kind of is. It it's not, it's not his fault because he missed the penalty. I would even go as far to say it's not even his fault because he didn't save any of the penalty shootouts. I think the Chelsea players had a lot of opportunities to convert, as well as Liverpool players. No one converted in regular time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Kepa, for me, if there's a sympathetic figure on this Chelsea team, it's him. He truly is God's lonely man. He's like straight out of a Paul Schrader movie. Just uh, really, he really is just like the the cast out, you know. Came in on a huge money signing, um, you know, and was at one point dropped for like Willie Caballero. Caballero, um, And then obviously Edward Mendy came in and took his place. And now he's just in in the biggest moments of their of their games, their biggest games when they go to penalties. He's the one yep. that they call upon yep. to salvage the game for them. Yep. And in this case, he just can't he can't do it. And oh God, I just feel so bad for the guy. It really
0: <laughs> is incredible. Uh, he has the sixth highest salary on the Chelsea team at eight at eight point. Zero six million pounds a year. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's he's
1: making rent, folks. He's, he's yeah, doing okay. He's,
0: he's fine, but he's probably not in a great place mentally currently. So at least we can sympathize with that. Funny enough, Ben Chilwell is above him at nine point eight injured. Saul is above Ben. <laughs> at oh my ten point three doesn't play. No Timo Werner is above him at fourteen point one doesn't play. And Colo Conte, fifteen.
1: That's earned. go you earned it.
0: And Romelu Lukaku, 16.9 <laughs> million pounds a year at the number one spot. Five of the six guys don't play. Chelsea.
1: Chelsea. Romelu Lukaku played a game <laughs> yeah. where he had seven touches, and two of them were at the center circle. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They yep. paid a hundred and twenty-four million dollars for Romelu Lukaku. It is
0: incredible. One hundred and eighty between both Werner and Lukaku, when they decide, you know, we don't like them that much anyway. So
1: it's preposterous. Yeah. They can just get it wrong so many times. Yeah,
0: it doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter. They'll just cover up their mistakes by buying another guy. Yeah, yeah. Makes I, you wonder.
1: I don't. I don't feel bad. To be clear, I don't feel bad for Chelsea at all in this case. Um, I'm glad bad that, for Kappa. I'm glad they lost. We
0: laugh at Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Jacob said it perfectly.
0: My mentality, whenever I watch Chelsea, is I want Pulisic to score, but I want Chelsea to lose. <laughs> That's always my mentality. Yep. So if Pulisic gets one in, great. Now the other team can score four.
1: It's like when Kelvin Johnson would have like 20 catches and 220 yards in a game and we'd still lose yeah, by like 14 somehow, points.
0: Somehow
2: the Lions would still
0: <laughs> fuck it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't have to talk about it. It was Carabao Uh I'm very happy Liverpool got silverware this season with the Carabao... I don't even know what it looks like. Are um, they on their
1: way to the treble, Jacob?
0: The, don't stop. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I don't want to talk about it. And so... We'll see where the rest of the season takes them. I'm not going to speculate any further. Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa part ways. I <laughs> finally got the manager carousel soundbite after Maddie had been requesting it for nigh on months. <laughs> um. <laughs> So now we got it. Now we're a cool podcast. Kind of
1: slaps, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Leeds concede 10 goals in two matches. They have the second worst goal differential in the league behind Norwich City. And I believe they are in the stage of, quote, Elsa burnout, as it's been so conveniently named. Jesse Marsh is rumored to be the most likely candidate to be hired on to Leeds in an effort to somehow save them from relegation. I am a big fan of Jesse because he's American. And I want him to succeed. I do not understand the logic of this decision. Uh, I think that is a bad call. And I think Jesse Marsh, if he's hired, will see Leeds relegated. Player thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um,
1: Don't, Leeds fans, just take a breath for a minute. It's going to be okay. Uh, Do we know the timetable for Calvin Phillips' return by any chance?
0: Or Patty Banff?
1: Yeah, or, or Patty Banff. I think he came back, scored a goal, and got injured in, like, the same game. Yeah, it, it's it's looking like it's going to be a while. And I saw a tweet that I, unfortunately, for the podcast and for you folks, I did not save on my phone, which I should have. But basically, the numbers for Leeds don't look great when Calvin Phillips doesn't play. He is vital to their defense. They lose games. They lose many games when he doesn't play.
0: And... I mean, they lose their primary ball mover, Calvin Phillips, and they lose their primary source of goals, Patrick Bamford. Yeah. And then they say, Rafinha, do both. And then obviously (laughs) the system is going to break down. Exactly. So, yes, Leeds are in probably, arguably, the worst injury crisis of the Premier League because they're missing their most key players. Leicester with a close second, I believe. So, it's going to be a very. Interesting few months for Leeds to try and grind out results because, if I'm correct, as the current table sits, Leeds stand at 16th, only two points above Everton. Um, both Everton and Burnley have two games in hand on them. Mm-hmm. So it's not like... Uh, and if they if get points from those, those games, Leeds will sit at 18th. And so now they have to bet on one of Brentford or Newcastle plummeting because none of the other teams look like they're gonna they're gonna fall. Yep. So it's gonna be a real maybe five way battle for relegation. Even six Brentford is starting to look like the bees are fluttering to their doom.
1: It's not looking good for bees in general these days, no, is,
0: Jacob. It hasn't been for a while.
2: No. They're fine.
0: Sorry, I should say, uh, (laughs) Uh, Christian Eriksen made his debut as a sub for Brentford uh, (laughs) this weekend as they lost to Newcastle.
2: Uh Well, Um, they got a red card in like the 15th minute.
0: Right, Josh De Silva. Yeah, so recent form, Everton, I mean, Leeds have one draw of four defeats. Their next game is Leicester. Well, I hope they lose. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Good luck. Uh, no further uh, speculation, really, because nothing official has been announced. It's just that Bielsa has gone. I don't think any of us here expect him to come back into the Premier League anytime soon, and so he might pop up somewhere in Argentina.
1: Yeah, the Marsh thing's weird too, because like he plays really high intensity soccer. So it's like if you're planning on moving from away from that, you're not really doing that. So
0: yeah, I uh, maybe it's a. Uh, Similar system, this might integrate well thing, but that seems like honestly, I don't think Jesse Marsh has the kind of... He doesn't... When I'm trying to save a team from relegation, I'm not saying Jesse Marsh is my guy yeah. because I, he's, he's still an incubation, really. He's still... Because he, 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 he did so bad with Leipzig. <laughs> so I think he still needs a bit more time to really get a, a system going that works at a high level. Um, it did fine in Salzburg, but Salzburg walked the Austrian league a lot. So it's, it's, I don't know. Um, okay, let's move on to more serious matters. Roman Abramovich hands over stewardship of Chelsea FC to the club's charitable foundation. Uh, and this is his statement quote, during my nearly 20 year ownership of Chelsea FC, I have always viewed my role as a custodian of the club whose job it is ensuring that we are as successful as we can be today, as well as build for the future, while also playing a positive role in our communities. I have always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. I remain committed to these values. This is why I am today giving trustees of Chelsea's Charitable Foundation the stewardship and care of Chelsea FC, I believe that currently they are in the best position to look after the interests of the club, players, staff, and fans, end quote. Now, Chelsea's charitable foundation came back and said, What? and that they, one, have some considerable surprise at the suggestion that trustees will not be running the football club. Uh, The trustees say that they have major unanswered questions and are still considering the request. They currently have no idea whether Abramovich might be about to be sanctioned by the British government, and the nature of any sanctions concerns include whether running a football club as part of the foundation could be compatible with charity law. Chelsea's charitable trust is traditionally focused on delivering schemes in the grassroots football or events such as the International Holocaust Memorial Day Workshop. Finally, Chelsea have made no formal legal approach to the Premier League to change their ownership status. What does all this mean? Well, um, essentially, Roman Abramovich is trying to take a step back from the current uh, crisis in that Russia is invading Ukraine and murdering its people. Um, And he wants to try to, as a Russian oligarch, take a spotlight off of Chelsea and him by extension. Uh, You'll notice that he makes no mention of Russia. He makes no mention of Ukraine. He makes no mention of the war that happened during this release. That's happening during this release. Um, and it's perhaps an effort to legally put a wall between him and the club he owns in case uh, people come after all of the assets that the Russian oligarchs own abroad uh, in an attempt to stop and curb Russia from uh, marching further into Ukraine. <sighs> anyway, um, did I miss anything, Blair? Blair.
1: No, I don't. I don't think so. We are big Premier League fans. We each follow our own teams who are owned by very wealthy people. They have their own business interests at hand. The Premier League is a business, our clubs that we support dearly, are businesses. And that creates kind of a weird relationship between the fan and the club. Because you don't have an emotional connection to um, Minute Made Orange Juice, probably. Maybe you do. It'd
0: be weird if you did.
1: You don't go to the store and root and cheer and celebrate um, when Minute Made or- Orange Juice is in stock or that there's a new <laughs> flavor coming out. Yeah. And so fans have this very, you know, sort of emotional bond with the team that they support and that's natural and it's part of the beauty of the game what Abramovich is doing and what PIF is doing with their ownership of Newcastle and Chelsea is taking advantage of that and the Premier League has been craven enough to allow that to happen and so what we get is this sort of scenario now where there's players who might have a conflict of interest there's employees at chelsea that might have a conflict of interest the club like the teams i mean it's just like such a it's such a convoluted situation and nobody can really make a a proper moral choice
0: it's these clubs have woven into the uh cultural fabric of these communities yes um you can be An enormous fan of Manchester City for years have the uh, UAE come in, purchase the club, and now by extension you're supporting some uh, inhumane acts happening thousands of miles away from where you live with no connection really to a soccer club, a football club you support. And I think this is what Newcastle find themselves in. It's what Manchester City find themselves in. It is what uh, now Chelsea find themselves in, and uh, I think by extension, a lot of the teams with the giant corporate owners that you know. I mean, even even uh, even um, the Glazers who yep. have really just uprooted and torn down Manchester United in Manchester. It's it's it happens everywhere, and so this this conversation just becomes this giant question mark on what am i supposed to do as a fan yes and now this extends to what um fans are supposed to do with russia just invading ukraine and uh, murdering its citizens and pillaging and destroying its cities and now this has become larger than just roman abramovich is a rich guy that Owns Chelsea. It's now Roman Abramovich has contributed to Putin's invasion of Ukraine, and by extension, have I contributed to Putin's invasion of Ukraine by supporting Chelsea?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, th- and that's that's the thing It's like, do you do you walk away? And like this was a conversation when the uh, purchase of Newcastle was made official this year. It was like, what's the expectation for Newcastle fans? And I think it's a very difficult question to ask because surely they're. Uh, there's a, there there, you know groups within the fan base that are happy that there's going to be this influx of cash, but they're not happy about where it's coming from. There's probably groups that are just flat unhappy with who the ownership is and aren't sure how to how to proceed. Things happen in these situations. Statements come out. People may be fired from the hip. I don't know. Takes are takes happen. We live in the tech economy these days on social media. So reporter Kaveh at Sky Sports had this statement on Twitter, at Sky Kaveh. This is Roman Abramovich's read of the current situation, and he's doing what he thinks is best for the club. There's no time frame on this. He's not involved in politics, and he is not involved with Vladimir Putin. Chelsea are horrified by what is happening in Ukraine. That is (laughs) textbook sports washing. And like, he has no, he has no benefit. Like, who are you, Kaveh? Are you are you just reading, being, you know, dictated to by, like, Chelsea folks who are telling you that this is what the, their read of the situation is? Like, how can you be so naive to say something like that? It's, it is utterly absurd that he is not involved with Vladimir Putin and he's not involved in politics. The statement made no mention of Ukraine or, or Russia. And yeah. so it's just things like this where it's like, this is how sports washing works. At the highest level... It's very intentional, it's very measured from the ownership um, of these clubs. But when you get further down, it's just the complacency of certain people within the sort of soccer world who should know better. And you shouldn't be saying something so naive and foolish like this guy did. And there are other things like this out there. And it's just really disheartening to see.
0: Soccer and football, and really sports in general, but in especially soccer, has never existed in a vacuum. It is... It is It is... It is, it is Tied to the political happenings of the countries it is hosted in, it beats throughout the events of history. You can't say uh, the Colombian soccer team played well in the World Cup or didn't play well in the World Cup and not mention the fact that the cartel then killed some of their players afterwards. You can't mention some of the Argentinian football happening during a lot of the civil wars that happened in Argentina. You can't not talk about... um, help me out here, but the East and West divide d- division of Germany during much of the early phases of the World Cup where West Germany would face East Germany. This is just how it works. And so when you say Roman Abramovich has no involvement with Russia, you're just making yourself look like an idiot and you're propagating, frankly, uh, disinformation to the rest of Chelsea's and the supporters in the world. I, I think that because of that, that has to be intentional. Absolutely,
1: absolutely, it is. And yeah, I mean, I think the like stick to sports thing is just utterly preposterous because there's just it doesn't make sense. There's no like magical wall between sports and and society. These things coexist; they're, they're intertwined. The players that on the field exist within the society they live in. Um, the leagues, all these things, international business interests are such that they are today that it behooves them to largely ignore a lot of the very serious, heinous things that a lot of these owners are involved in on the daily basis. Again, PIF was admitted into the ranks of Premier League ownership with the Jamal Khashoggi thing. That was very clear. Everybody knows what happened there. The just like basic record of human rights in Saudi Arabia with LGBTQ folks or or women or anything
0: like this. The use of slavery in the 21st century.
1: Yeah, the embargo and blockade in Yemen that's precipitated a horrible humanitarian catastrophe um, that's led to I don't know thousands of countless deaths, and this is just part of the league. It's just part of the league, and that they are literally in league with these owners, and it's just it's just what it is, and. I don't know. It's a it's a real shame because the the money is winning in a sense, and Brownovich's money is there. It's 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 a, a voluminous, whatever. It, there's a lot of it, and it keeps coming. And so Chelsea fans are okay with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to speak for all of them, but you know, you know how it goes. I mean, it's they have a great team. It's great to see on the field.
0: Um, They're able to spend 180 million pounds on two strikers and not use them. Yeah. So. It's and obviously I'm sure the Chelsea fans feel just as even not more conflicted about this because absolutely now, now when you root for Chelsea in a Carabao Cup final, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, I I think I got too far. I don't want to imply that Chelsea fans were like are like okay or cool with Ukraine because they like Abramovich that much. That's not you know what I'm saying. I
0: think the Chelsea fans that like Roman Abramovich more than Chelsea need to take a hard look at themselves.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there was the statement from the the trustees who said that they don't want to be used as some kind of front for Roman Abramovich, and we were both saying, I wonder how they feel about the last 18 years of working with Roman Abramovich. Uh, I think they should take a good, good, hard look at what their role is with the club and uh, how that functions within the club and also within the league and the the broader sense of sporting in the world. Because um, you are a front. Sorry, just it, flatly.
0: It and that's that's yeah. That, that is what it is. I don't know. There's nothing you. There's there's nothing you and I and Maddie can do. Currently, as two, um, three. American sports podcasters that talk about a league that isn't the country we're in. So yeah. well all we offer are problems, not solutions. Um, so anyway, let's uh, I'm gonna read off some headlines um, that that are relatively important to the to soccer, but also relevant to the political and humanitarian sphere that exists in and around Europe now. Um, Stade de France is now hosting the UEFA Champions League on May 28th, the final. It is no longer being hosted in St. Petersburg, Russia. Um, the Poland national team now refuses to play against Russia in the World Cup playoffs. The Czech national team now will never, uh, under no circumstances, will play Russia in World Cup qualifiers. Sweden will not play Russia, regardless of location, following in Poland's footsteps. Roman Abramovich, according to uh, Labour MP Chris Bryant, says that uh, he should not be allowed to own Chelsea. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Ukrainian player Andrei Lunin for uh, Real Madrid, the secondary goalkeeper currently, will be unavailable for his club's match. Um, This weekend, because with the club's permission, he will be volunteering in Madrid to collect medical supplies and warm socks for his countrymen. There have been messages from countless soccer players worldwide, notably uh, Robert Lewandowski, a Polish uh, player Luka Modric, uh, Croatian player, uh, Alexander Sanjenko Ukrainian player, Yarmolenko, Ukrainian player, that have been just gushing support for the Ukrainian people for the continued support and aid for the country and condemning Russia for its um, warmongering acts. And I'm sure countless things more will happen by next
2: week.
1: Yes, yeah, very fluid situation. It's heartening to see the cohesiveness, um, the community that's kind of forming around in these events. And yeah, I just wish the best for, you know, all the, all the, the players and everyone who's got, you know, family in, in Ukraine, everyone in Ukraine who's you know, fleeing or hiding or whatever they're able to do, you know, just really hope there's a peaceful resolution to this very soon. That's the best that we can hope for, I suppose.
0: Yeah, um, best um, wishes and uh, thoughts to Vladimir Zelensky as he continues to lead the charge with Ukraine and, by extension, Kiev. I mean, uh, not much to add, um, not really much to say at this point because the sport itself seems kind of secondary to what's happening. Um, I hope that Putin and Russia can get their act together. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not much to say. I, yeah, I, we can close. <laughs> New York City plays in 15 minutes against LA Galaxy, the New York City FC, <laughs> MLS champions. Um, <laughs> New York City FC play the LA Galaxy this uh, today as the start of a yet another. MLS season continues. Uh, new jerseys with new stars will have to be bought by the Plastics Podcast to <laughs> properly reflect the championship that was won by our team. And, uh, you know, let's, let's go uh, pigeons. Come on, you pigeons. Great. We will let the fans of Croatian club Dynamo Zagreb uh, lead us out here with uh, glory to Ukraine.